This is this is a new phase in life of thinking religion. I'm totally done with that. <laughs> so I, I um I'm I'm going whole hog, as we say in South Carolina, on the iPad. And I know I talk about yeah. this a lot and it, it, it annoys people. <laughs> it's very interesting. I'm just gonna go get all the annoying things out of the <laughs> right. way first. Someone's like, Stop talking about tech. I was like, What? That's what we do, don't tell us what to talk about. Um, right. Or give us money, and then you can tell us what to talk yeah. about. <laughs> if you want to tell us what to talk about, go to thinking.fm slash donate. Yeah, we have standards. <laughs> um, so I I, uh, I love my iPad Pro. It's great. I have the pencil. I have the smart case thing with the keyboard and the, and the iPad. And I, I'm really productive on the iPad now. So I, I got the first iPad back in 2010. When I was I was still teaching at the time, but I was like head of our teacher tech team, and and I was in good with the uh, with our IT guy, and I said, hey, you know, don't don't because it came out at the end of the year, and I said, hey, don't you want to get like three or four of these things and give them to certain teachers, including me, uh, so we can play <laughs> right. with them over the summer, you know, and see if we want to explore this in the classroom. And he was like, Ugh, okay, whatever, sure. So he he orders these, and I get it like the day of of graduation. Um, he you know, comes up and he's like, here's your toy. And I was like, thank you, uh, even though he's a big Mac guy. But so I, I had iPad 1 and I played with it that summer. And I was like, this is revolutionary. I love it. But it was so hamstrung in, in many ways. And then I stood in line for the iPad 2 for like four or five hours. It was actually the first date that Marianne and I ever went on. <laughs> Stand in line with me for the nice. iPad 2. And then we went out to like an Applebee's. Classy. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a Mex- it was it was a Mexican restaurant, San Jose's. Uh, okay, well, that's better than Applebee's. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we we still go to one here in town. Uh, but anyway, so I had that. I had the the next iteration. So I basically had every iPad. I had an iPad Air two, an iPad Air one, and I you know I would always kind of trade them off after a few months and give them to someone or, or give it to a family member. Um, because I thought eh, we're not there yet. This thing really feels like that magic that I was hoping for in 2010, where it's like, we're finally there. You know, like, we're finally at the point where I can do stuff on on this device, and I don't need this big truck of a computer that I'm sitting in front of now that's running Windows that likes to update automatically. I was going to say, you know what's not finally there yet? Windows. (laughs) But people like Windows because they they feel like they're on a computer because things crash. And it does the random updates, and sometimes it gets slow, and you have to have virus protection, and things, you know, things are always a little janky. But that that's comforting to a lot of people in the, you know, late 30s, early 40s, 50s, 60s age range, because it feels like, well, that's what a computer is. So I had, so I had honestly wondered, right, I've been, I've been solely an Apple person for a really long time now, you know, MacBook Pro, iPhone, iPad. Apple TVs, et cetera. And I had been wondering, because, you know, you were you were an Apple guy back in the day, kind of got some of us started on it. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, I was, I had, like had Dells and crap, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember you that went Dell. like whole hog, Windows, it's great, Android, and now you're kind of coming back around, right? which is fine. You know, we'll <laughs> welcome you back. But, <laughs> but so I'd been wondering, okay, like, Am I really, like, I don't know, is it that big of a difference? Does it make that big of, you know, there's little things you get used to that are different. Like, okay, I love tabs in the Finder, right, or what they call the, I think it's Explorer on Windows, right, tabs, and that when you open it up, it opens back up to the folder that you were in. That just makes sense to me because I've been on a Mac for a long time. Windows doesn't do that, right? So things you get used to, but it's like that's not that big of a deal, right? They're just kind of... Uh, you know, idiosyncrasies. But is Mac really that much better? And I can say pretty affirmatively in the couple weeks that I've been now in my new job having to use Windows, and I'm using Windows 10, which overall I think is pretty good. I am more convinced than ever that, yes, Mac is that much better. And and this sounds cliche, but the thing is it just works, Right. And so we talk about this a lot, right? Yeah, you're in your walled garden, right? Which Sam is learning to love now, once again. Oh, I mean, right? I've, your never, I've never gone away. I've always right? had. Yeah. But your iPhone, your iPad, right? It just all works so well together, right? You're in your walled garden. There are maybe a couple things you can't do on your iPhone and your iPad, but on your Mac, you can do whatever you want. But I don't know. It's just, I don't ever have to worry with simple things like, 
oh, I made this bold and I saved it and closed the file and opened it back up. And now it's not bold for some inexplicable reason. <laughs> like in Word. Right. So, you know, I mean, I don't like I just because I had wondered that. Right. Oh, so I, you know, I've never been I don't feel like anyway, I've been kind of an over the top like Mac fanboy, so to speak. Yes, you have like, been at least for the last five years. Right. But I haven't I don't think I like talk that way a lot as in telling other people like oh you got to get a mac windows are horrible like they're crappy uh yeah i may have thought it but i don't think i said it really often at least but now it's kind of like no i i I think that's right (laughs) like it's i don't i'm I'm surprised honestly because with the advances that i'd kind of seen about and like just using windows here and there kind of randomly oh it's pretty good you know getting on windows 10 i like a lot kind of the interface and everything it works well but sure but basic things just still apparently don't work in 2016. It's kind of amazing to me. So anyway, um, I think you're making a very wise choice and coming back to the Apple world. Well, and, I mean, I never left. I've always had like an iPhone. And, right, uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know. But you're kind of coming back in, like you said, a whole hog. Well, so, uh, yeah, but, the, you know, the, the, I guess the big thing for me is that I grew up with Windows. So I, I was one of those kids in the 80s who got a Commodore 64 very young, and, and I loved it, and I learned how to play games on it, and I, I started programming on it. I mean, not really, but, you know, I would goof around because you had to use DOS <laughs> for a lot of things. Uh, so then that translated into me, like, in 1991, 1992, when I was in middle school going into high school, I started building my own computers, and Windows 3 Windows 3 and Windows 3.1, which was really the best one, had just shipped. And I really liked Windows 3.1. And then, you know, in 1995, we got Windows 95. And I was still building my computers all throughout high school. And I actually used to make pretty good money. <laughs> that was kind of my, my way to subsidize my, my comic book addi- addiction and uh, my, um, you know, uh, clothes and, and fans and all that stuff that, you know, teenagers buy it was by building computers. And those were all Windows. And it wasn't until, even in college, I mean, I used Windows. But it it wasn't until, I guess, like yearbook group or whatever in, in high school where we I first started to use a Mac. And I played with it. And I was like, okay, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> like this, this makes no sense to me because I'd never touched a Mac. And I was from rural South Carolina. And I had a friend who, you know, his family actually bought him a Mac. And he would, you know, we would compare things because the games on, on my Windows machine was so much better than the games on his Mac. Um, and then when I got to college, I kind of realized like, eh, this is not really where I want to be. So like, I don't know, 2005 or so, I started using Linux and I really like Linux because I was trying to break away from the, the Windows world. And then I, like you said, ar- around the time I met you, I really started getting into the Mac stuff and, and using that because finally around 2006, 2007, uh, the Mac platform kind of stabilized, I guess. Um, and then in 2007, we had, we had the introduction of the, of the iPhone, but for so many people in, in my age group, the iPod, which I dug up my first iPod the other day with my kids and it still works. <laughs> it's oh, mine awesome. Well, okay. So I have an iPod touch that I still have like an, a really old one that I had, you know, of course I've got an inscription on the back, like a Nietzsche quote about music or something, <laughs> you know, of course, <laughs> but it still works. Yeah. So Trinity is like, oh, I'm going to put this, my wife, she's like, I'm going to put this in my car and like mm-hmm. put podcasts on it. So, cause she doesn't have like Bluetooth in her car or whatever. Cause she's a responsible adult and doesn't feel like she has to buy a new car when the one she has works perfectly well and yeah. is paid off. So, you know, kind of like you, right? Yep. Like 20 year old pickup truck. Exactly. So, so she's like, I'm just leave this in my car and then just hook it in, you know, pretty easily and, you know, play my music. So she's been using this really old iPod touch that like, you still can't change the background on like on the screen or oh, anything. Yeah. Sure. You sure. know, I remember like, that that, what was that like? I know. Yeah. So this was like the, the, the original iPod from like, you know, 2000. Yeah. So I had four of those. Then I found three of them. I'm trying to find the other ones. And I, I think I saved the box for the original one. And you go on eBay now, and they're they're selling for a pretty good chunk of change. And I was like, huh. But anyway, the girls were just fascinated. But for so many of us, the iPod was kind of like this Halo device, as they called it, where you bought the iPod and you realized, this is really nice. And even, you know, 15, 20 years later, it's, <laughs> it's still working. Right. And, and I can go back and look at all this wonderful music that I had on from, you know, the early 2000s. I mean, you can put like 100 songs on there. <laughs> It was like a gig, yeah, and we're, right. I was, you know, mind blown. Um, 
and then I had the third version, I think, which was four gigs. And I was like, oh, my God, four gigs of music. I will never <laughs> use that much music. I've, I can put 400 songs on here. So I, I cranked that one up, and it's all Wilco and stuff from, like, 2006 or 2005. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was I was thinking, like, ah, I could just put this in my car and just mount it because I can yeah. still plug it into my computer, and it, it still detects it and bring it up on iTunes, and it works. Anyway, all that to say, um, going back to this iPad, like – the, the conception of how I get things done is really changing for me quickly. And I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, and, and yes, I mean, I flip back and forth between Android and iOS and Windows and Mac and Linux and all that stuff. But that's intentional uh, because I, I want to make sure that I'm not getting behind and, and not on the platform where I need to be. And I think things like the iPad, maybe not the iPad itself, but things like the iPad are going to be the future where we're not going to have these, you know, a, a mouse and a keyboard? Like, really? This is straight out of 1983, 1984. And I watched my left-handed 8-year-old daughter, who was born the year the iPhone came out, try to manipulate a, a physical keyboard and a mouse. And she can do it, but you can tell. She's like, what the hell? Is, <laughs> why, would you, why would you compute this way? Whereas she has a touch book, or touch uh, screen Chromebook, and she's fantastic with it. And, and I mean, she can do things on a Chromebook that I can't do. So half the time I'm asking her, okay, well, I've got this music file and I want to send it to you from this Chromebook. How do I, she's like, oh, we just do this and this and this. So it's kind of cool to see that. Um, and not the touch and, and all that stuff is going to be the future, but I really think right. that we need to <laughs> always be open to, to kind of shifting our perspectives. And to, just to say that I made a big move this week and I went from Google apps for my email, I'm still working on the calendaring part because, you know, calendars are my thing. But I went from Google Apps for my email over to uh, Fastmail. And Fastmail is this IMAP server, basically, or service, I guess you would right. say. Right. Wait, my puppy is, my great <laughs> Dane is in the room with me and he was <laughs> enjoying looking at himself there. Uh, good analogy for what I'm talking about, I guess. <laughs> And uh, so I, I'm, I, I started using Fastmail in 2008, I believe, and they're an Australian company. So it's they're focused on privacy and security and all this stuff, but it, it's a really cool IMAP server, and it works great with things like Apple Mail, whereas Google Mail and Gmail doesn't work that well with that. Um, so anyway, I, I've been reinvesting myself in, in that. I'm sorry, baby's going to sleep too. Crazy time of the night for us. And it, it just really feels kind of fun and invigorating to constantly do that you know yeah well i mean we've talked on the show before about how we the two of us are kind of always open to changing like our workflow right where it's pretty easy and i think most people kind of get oh they do this that makes a big change right they like bought a new computer upgraded the operating system and then they're like i gotta stay here for a while you know i've learned it now i don't want to change anything um, and I talk to people like that all the time, like, oh, no, I didn't want to update my computer because, I don't know, it was going to change things. And it, it was kind of really foreign to me because, you know, to you, obviously, because we're kind of always open to what's the best way to kind of do this, right? Is there another, a more efficient way to do this or a way that kind of works better in, in, with what I do or something I hadn't thought about before that will change this and make this maybe a more enjoyable task or whatever. So, I, I mean, we both think that's really important. We talk about that a lot on the show, um, though I'm now a little bit more firmly entrenched in my belief that, yes, Macs really are better. But, you know, <laughs> this is good to kind of be open to change and say maybe I wasn't completely right or the way I said things before weren't wasn't the best way to say that. And you know who said that? Jesus. You're never going to guess. Uh, Bill Jobs. Bill Jobs. No, I don't think it was Bill Jobs. It wasn't Bill O'Reilly or Steve Jobs. Donald um, Trump. Neither of whom, and he wouldn't either, would ever say that they were wrong about anything. But actually, uh, Joshua Harris. I was um, going to say Josh Harris. That was my next guess. <laughs> whom our, our you know, listeners of the show that maybe grew up or may still be uh, evangelical. We have a lot of people, I think, in that camp. Or I know we do have a lot of people in, that, in those various camps. Uh, we'll know Josh Harris as the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And you'll be interested to learn now that Josh Harris is kissing I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, so so fill me in. Cause that... Sort of. Sort of. 
<laughs> I grew up evangelical in a Southern Baptist church, uh, but I didn't. I wasn't. We weren't into all of this kind of stuff, so we didn't have True Love Waits, and I'd have no idea who Josh Harris is. Never heard of this book, and before you, so he was or is kind of a uh, one of those sort of uh, evangelical thought leaders. Yeah, kind of. So he's like he was this like single guy, right? He was twenty one when he wrote the book. I can I, I couldn't imagine like having written a book at twenty one telling people this is how you should okay yeah I mean it's amazing right so he wrote this book and he's like I kiss dating goodbye you know we're gonna I think you can be friends and it's really important that you get to know the person like really deeply before you ever start thinking about um, being in a deeper relationship and it's kind of amazing because like he like and he was saying these are like you don't need to learn how to be a good boyfriend or girlfriend to learn how to be a good spouse. That's different. You need to learn friendship and all that. And it's like, on the whole, it's not horrible, but it very, very quickly became, this is what you must do. I mean, for kind of all preteens and teens growing up and in, in, in this, you know, kind of uh, evangelical subculture, um, at least a majority of it, right? What I grew up in, what your wife grew up in. Yeah, I was going to say, I need to ask Mary Ann about thing, this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> It was like this is like dating is bad or, you know, it's you're looking for a spouse is what you're looking for. And now he's kind of saying, so maybe I wasn't, you know, maybe it was a little naive. Right. I had not been there yet to say, like, this is really what you need for marriage since he had never been married. Um, And then he's kind of learned how the book was used whether he intended it that way or not, but to tell people this is how you must do it. And he's, you know, said, Hey, I apologize for that. That's not what I intended. But so it's really interesting to see him kind of, you know, going back and reevaluating a little bit. He hasn't gone back through the whole book and said, you know, okay, I still agree with this. I don't agree with that. Um, But he is at least kind of open to saying, well, I mean, I did it one way, but maybe that's not the way that everybody has to do it. It's really interesting. So were people using it to say, like, dating leads to sex and sex is bad, so therefore you shouldn't date? Or it was it like when you meet the person that God wants you to be with, you'll know? Or I both? think it was kind of both. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> really? But, I mean, but, it, but it wraps up so well. I mean, this is, this is coming about at the exact same time as the True Love Waits movement, right? Yeah, so exactly. So well and this kind of purity movement you're going to buy this really cheap you know metal ring or whatever that says whatever it says right i had one but this is great that was in hebrew and it said uh let me think about exactly what it said in hebrew it said um uh what else did it say i can't remember exactly maybe so i am my beloved's and my beloved is mine is what it is in english but i'm trying to remember uh, the dodi is you know yeah, but anyway, so so I had a ring that like had that engraved on it in Hebrew, right? It was like my purity ring. Right? <laughs> That's how you um, got all the ladies. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we'll we'll just say that I I had the ring. So wow. we'll, yeah. we'll leave it at that. Um, but which which? But yeah, yeah. but it, it does kind of coincide exactly with this time where you have this this huge push in the evangelical culture of this purity movement, where so. It, it worked so well together, right? You kiss dating goodbye, which makes sense because you're making a commitment to the future person that you're going to uh, marry, that you're not going to do anything that's even remotely sexual. I mean, I can remember when I was in college even, which, I mean, it was a little while ago now, but not that long ago, right? Um, a little bit, I don't know, over a decade ago, but not, not really that long ago. In college, hearing people say um, – Anything that prepares your body for sex, like the way they put it, i.e., like, you know, are you beginning to get an erection? You know, is a woman <laughs> beginning to get, you know, stop, stop telling me about my erections, church. Right? Anything that <laughs> prepares you for sex counts as sex. Really? And I was like, um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I was already fairly contrarian at this point in my life, but I was like, no, like, just getting erection doesn't count as sex like you know i i'm yeah i'm pretty sure like i know how the body works and these are pretty natural things and whatever so no, it's but a succubus it, it, thomas yeah but it but it's uh, but it did kind of come about at the same time so i think that really helped with 
the success of this book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and it said exactly what people wanted it to say, right? That's the other thing about evangelical subculture is – I don't know a good way to – at least southern evangelical subculture, which is where evangelical – you know, evangelicalism is most prominent. Yeah, I mean, maybe. It's, I mean, it's a, maybe. Right, I mean, you have Midwest stuff too. Midwest, I guess, definitely. But, right. But at least in Southern evangelical subculture that I grew up in, it was the stars were young and attractive. Right. So if you have a right. young, attractive male saying, I kiss dating goodbye. Like, I mean, the girls just swooned and the mothers wanted their daughters to marry a guy like that. And they wanted their sons to be a guy like that. Right. I mean, so it just it was it was made for that time. I mean, it just worked so perfectly. So anyway, I'm glad to see him at least saying a little bit like, hey, I realized that maybe this caused a little bit of harm and that's not right. So Mariana says uh, the comparable book for her was a book called Lady in Waiting. Yes. Yes. Do you know this yes. one too? By Jackie Kendall and Debbie Jones. Becoming God's yes. Best While Waiting for Mr. Right. This is the expanded ish- edition on Amazon. After 22 years of marriage, Lady in Waiting has given me a sense of security in Christ that I never experienced before. This book helped me realize that my earthly father, my husband, or anyone else could not provide security. Only God can. What a freeing principle. Not only for me, but also for my husband. Now my marriage is better than ever because I no longer have unrealistic unrealistic expectations of him my husband 442 pages holy crap hey do you want to have mariana explain lady in waiting i've never read any of this. yeah is she there she wants to come on and explain it to us but okay. what's great is this kind of coincided uh as well with the like jesus is my boyfriend movement right like oh i i can't get in a relationship because i'm in a relationship with jesus which is like weirdly sexual but also not new right because we have these kind of early medieval medieval mystical women yeah, the, the book of marjorie that, camp right. right exactly right they have these very kind of sexual um at least mental encounters with the risen christ and things like that so it's not new but it was just you know we just kind of got to see it all again in the evangelical subculture like no i'm i'm in a relationship with jesus so i can't be in a relationship with you right but how many times thomas did you really use that Oh, I didn't use it. Oh, it was just the girls? Yeah, right. That'd be bad, right? If I was like, I'm in a relationship with Jesus, then it would be like, ooh, dude, that's gay. Right? I mean, you know how. <laughs> so No, that'd be a major turn on to all the girls. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm gay for Jesus. Is that what right. you're saying? No, no, Jesus. no. Just that, oh, no, I'm working on my relationship. I heard that from guys. I'm working on my relationship with Jesus right now. Yeah, which is a really great... Um, Excuse, right? I know a lot of girls that use that as an excuse, um, where it's like, "Oh, but you were dating Jesus last week, and you didn't want to date me, but now you're dating George. What's up with that?" Yeah. So you uh, did you participate in the I kiss dating goodbye? That's what we're talking about with Josh. Yeah, Harris. that's exactly that's exactly. Right, what but we're did he go about. through it? Did you go through it? So I did read it, but I don't remember doing like any kind of big study on it. I, the things I remember doing kind of big like group studies on were, I don't know, books about like sex stuff. Like here's why guys shouldn't masturbate. Things like that. Right? That's what they were <laughs> really? always you, you guys uh, talked about that? Yeah, we didn't even yes. get that specific. Oh, oh, what is wrong have, with people? Man, I have, oh, I have so many stories. Okay. <laughs> At least yeah. you got to talk about that in the women's version. You didn't even get to talk about it. You just got to talk about how you were supposed to be preparing your heart and your mind and your soul. And your vagina. For being the best wife. Right. You have to guard your heart, right? Yes. Marianna? Yes. You have to guard your heart. Yes. And your treasure box. Your treasure box? Yes. Treasure box. Is that yeah, what? I guess your treasure box would be your vagina. Um, <sighs> have you, but, oh, this is a great Gilmore Girls episode. You've seen, you've seen the one, right? Where they talk, they invite the the priest over to have oh, dinner and right. talk about her chastity. And it's it's the greatest gift you can it's give someone. It's the greatest gift that you can give someone. Yes. And and you shouldn't give it to anyone until you're ready to give it to them because it's a precious present. And and Rory you can't says, take it back. You can't take it back. And Rory says, "Well, I, I don't know that that gift is already that set ship sail. Is, yeah, that yeah. ship has sailed. And a he's long like, time oh. And, and she says, "Oh, it's probably in Tahiti by now." <laughs> I love because you know. And she's from Connecticut, so there you go. Um, Wow. So, I I, I mean, I heard about True Love Waits, and what was the men's thing back in the 90s? 
Oh, it was oh, promise, promise, promise keepers, but you had to be yep. married for that. Trail of Weights was right, for right, right. guys and girls. So, so like I would have been a promise keeper if no. I were Southern Baptist in the night. No, no, like if I was well, my I age mean, now. Some young oh, guys if you were this, yeah. Yeah, some guy, some young guys would go to like I remember going to a promise keepers rally. Did you? When I was, yeah, yeah. So what do you do? Like, do you, do you just like you pray to the Christian flag and then you do the Nazi like, salute? You know, you got to be manly for for God. I mean, it's like I don't know. It. You know, I mean, I don't know. Like, <clears throat> it's trying to. T- Get men more involved, but also playing up kind of masculinity as a godly virtue. Yeah. Right? I mean, I can remember speakers coming that, like, their whole talk would be about some hunting expedition they went on in Africa. And then in the end, they might say, like, two sentences about the Bible or God or something. <laughs> Sounds like a New Spring service. So, right. so it's like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, we're, like, you know, dudes for Jesus or whatever. I don't know. When I was a kid, the, the closest I got to this kind of crap was – uh Going to Darlington for the NASCAR race, <laughs> uh, racing ministries. I think it's called. I forgot the the name. That's right. Race ministries. Um, they would, hey, they're the puppies. It's been a while. Yeah, they're running away. They don't want to hear the story. <laughs> it, it's been um, when, when I was a kid. Like you could get a, a free ticket to go to the race if you went to the race ministries. I want you one more one more second. If, if you went to the race ministries, uh, a tent and watched a puppet show or whatever about Jesus. And then they would give you tickets on the way out, but it was like a twenty-minute puppet show, and they did an altar call. And everyone in in the yes. thing in the tent is like ten years old at most, and you're watching a puppet show, and you know it's like, well, I'm Jonah, and I'm Jesus, and I'm going to save you, you know, whatever. And if you give your heart to Christ, then everything's going to be okay. And they give an altar call, and you're supposed to walk up, which, you know, looking back, holy crap, like. <laughs> If you give your soul to Jesus at a NASCAR race in Darlington, South Carolina, that's fantastic. <laughs> but that would if be a hell of a story. If a free ticket, I would. I mean, walk that aisle. Get a free ticket. Right. No, 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 no. Every single week. No, no. They, they gave tickets out as you walked out, but you had to sit there the whole time. And then they, they, the ushers, I guess, or deacons or whatever they were at the, at the back of the church, these old men in overalls and stuff, would give you a, a ticket to get into the race so my dad would make me go to this every year even though we weren't religious and i would sit there through this puppet show when i was eight or nine and thinking oh my god what am i watching and why is this happening to me um but if you know you're going to get a ticket at the end don't you feel like you should give your heart to jesus i mean i would have no i am so when i when i started going to church yeah when i was like 13 and 14 yeah i gave my heart to jesus every week and walked the aisle and i was you know preaching when i was 13 because i was the poster boy but i never went through this stuff and I think this this cultural evangelicalism is so fascinating, and now people are reexamining that. Except for Donald Trump, I'm sorry to mention him, but <laughs> you know we're, we're at this point now where I think our culture is saying maybe that stuff in the '90s and the you know '80s with with the evangelical takeover of Christianity or Protestant Christianity didn't serve people really well, and we're all declining in numbers now. Um, maybe we we kind of goofed up there. Yeah, actually, we have a really good friend, Leanne Gardner, who talks about um, sex and sexual practices, especially in regards to church. And there have been studies about the effectiveness of true love weights, and it's not effective at all. Well, of course right. it's not. Well, right, right. but there's there hasn't been the study that existed because this came around in the 80s. But the people, the youth who engaged in the true love weights found themselves in more sexually unhealthy relationships than those who didn't. Yeah, right. I think, I think because that's it breeds all. Of, I mean, it's the same thing, right? With people that it preach like abstinence only education, which is exactly exactly what that is, right? But it breeds all of these other really negative consequences, right? Guilt about your body, guilt about your sexuality, um, and then when you do something, it's like, well, I've already screwed up, so I should just go all the way, whatever, right? And so it's nothing about like personal boundaries or anything like that. It's about guilt that other people are kind of projecting onto you. Yeah, exactly. And especially, I would say, no offense, I mean, I know this is traumatic for you, but especially for women. Oh, yeah, 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 certainly. Because not only can, as a woman, as a lady in waiting, can you not have sex, but you also can't talk about sex or want sex or think about sex. Which, I mean, I know know lots of guys who went through this, too, and had similar experiences. But for some reason, it it hit the women much harder. No, I, I would agree. I mean, and, and there are more expectations. Because of the body, yeah, and the body issues right. too that that women are encountering in culture, anyways. So then you add a religious aspect onto that, and 
And then you tell them that they can't wear two pieces on mission trips because they might be right. tempting to the guys. And really? they can't wear shorts yes. because they might be tempting to the guys. But the guys get to wear shorts, but the girls don't. Uh, yes. Yes, you can't cause your brother to stumble, Sam. Right? <laughs> but And then you also, you have all of these, you know. Thomas knows the Bible. You have all these male preachers standing up and constantly talking about how hot their wife is. My right? smoking and hot wife the, sex, the NASCAR thing. Yeah. Right? My smoking hot wife and <laughs> the sex is great. I mean, they're saying this, right? Because they're trying to make you believe that if you do what they say, right? If you put, if you buy this ring for $29.99 and you put it on and you carry this card in your wallet or your purse every day and you don't have sex with the people that are wanting to have sex with you, then you're going to get a smoking hot wife and the sex is going to be out of this world. Right, so right. they're selling that to the guys, but and to the girls, that's what you're going to get too. You're going to get a man who constantly wants you, and then yes. what happens in the marriage relationships is that women then turn sex into a manipulation. So they withhold sex in a marriage relationship in order to get what they want. Yes, and but it also puts these. So that's what these, you're doing. These kind of expect. <laughs> it kind of also puts these expectations on Thomas women too, right? That you have to be the smoking hot wife that is amazing at sex, right? So uh, kind of all these other layers added on to that as well. And you have to be ready to go whenever your husband is ready to go because that's your wifely duty. That's your service. Really? Because he's the head of the household. Wow. Yeah, no, I I legit remember having conversations like this where it was, well, if they don't both want to, if he really wants to, then you just need to do it. Ah, that's called rape. Yes, that is exactly what that's that is called. <laughs> Non-consensual rape. sex is rape. Even yeah. in a right, marriage sorry. relationship. Especially yes. in a marriage yes. relationship. And so uh, I can't tell you the number of women that I have found through talking about spiritual abuse quite recently who are talking about these very things and saying, I, I don't I don't know what's the matter. And I'm like, I know. I know what's right. the matter. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so there was also this idea um, or like – these conversations that we constantly had, right? You would always get split into like, okay, now you got to have guy time and girl time. So just the guys are going to talk, go talk about guy things and the girls are going to go talk about girl things. But it never failed. And, and, and I'm not exaggerating. I do not remember one time in my entire life from the time I was a kid to the time I graduated college because I was involved and in, still in college in a fairly conservative evangelical group where the guy time was not about masturbation. Really? (laughs) Constantly. It was about – and then there are all these like techniques, right? So it would be like, oh, you got to – you know, you got to bounce your eyes, right? So – and then like you have to anticipate. So if you see like a girl – Right, bounce your eyes. Like you can't help if you happen to see, you know, look at a girl's, you know, breast or whatever. But you can help continuing to look. So you got to bounce your eyes, keep them moving. And, and then, like, anticipate. So if somebody drops a pencil, girl drops a pencil, you can turn the other way so because you know she's going to have to bend over and pick it up, right? So you're, like, anticipatory about not letting yourself potentially lust after this person who is just going to pick up their number two pencil, right? So – and then all these – and, I mean, we, we don't need to go more in-depth into it, but it was constantly about how porn is bad and masturbation is bad and where's that in the bible i mean well, it's not but it's in the new gop platform right so it's, it's got to right. be from god so right so on the other end and uh, the girl time you were taught how to bend down so as not to right show yes. off your butt or something yes. like that except to the right guys because you were a lady in waiting so right but i mean and, but i found that also i'm thinking this, of lancelot in uh exactly when he walked into the yeah, what, and you, I mean, seriously, like a chastity belt, that was the next thing coming, no doubt. But that's that, – it's interesting though because what you found, at least in my youth group experience, is you found people who were saying, oh, you guys are such a good match. As high schoolers, I can tell you're going to get married. To high yes. schoolers. Like you're not yes. even 18 years old and you're like, no, no, no. You have found your – godly man or godly woman and and this is going to last forever i can tell y'all are just such a good match and i can remember being in a pretty serious relationship in high school and having like panic attacks like do i have to make this decision right now i can't even figure out where i go to college or what on I, TV what I do. Over this. yeah so that's so that's actually a really great point because it actually contrasts quite 
distinctly with the whole Josh Harris movement, right? With kissing, dating, goodbye, is that you can't really date, but you should be trying to get married, right? right? And so these kind of mixed messages that are that are coming at you, and so I was very. Um, very serious in my relationships when I was younger. Uh, and it wasn't, not in all of them, but in a lot of them. Um, I was very, as my what, mom used to say about me, it was, yeah, I was very intense. Okay. Um, and so, and I think a lot of it was a result of this, right? It was, you have to be, you have to find somebody that you're going to marry. And you're treating it like we're going to be together. We have to be together for the rest of our lives. And I was super jealous, which I'm like the, the furthest thing from a jealous person. Now you can ask Trinity, my wife, because it actually makes her mad sometimes that I'm completely not jealous. But, um, but I, but it's it's because I used to be so crazy, over the top jealous because of these things, right? No, like I've got to marry this person, right? Now it might be a different person next month, but it doesn't matter if it's the person I'm with. It's got to be me or nothing, right? It's got to be all or nothing. Um, and so it actually contrasts really interestingly with the whole Josh Harris movement of you can't get interested in people except insofar as to plan to marry them. And you see this happen, right? A lot of people end up marrying their, you know, youth group sweethearts and end up divorcing them within just a couple of years. Well, it's it's so fascinating to me that that especially in the South, we want to pass all these state laws about uh banning Sharia law. But to me, when you talk about arranged marriages and you talk about what women should wear and you talk about, um, you know, sexual issues and what you should talk about with sex and how you should interpret, a, uh, you know, a, a religious text, that sounds like Sharia law. And the the idea of saying we don't want, it's you know, Islam and, and Sharia law in our country, but then doing this kind of stuff to our young women and men, like, wow, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's. It's it's kind of uh, kind of mind mind boggling. Wait, I'm sorry. And, what you were you what, say? Oh, and you wonder why the rate of depression is what it is in America. Yeah, yeah. but I, I was gonna say. Also, I heard a lot. Uh, don't waste your time dating someone you know you wouldn't marry. And right. I can remember feeling the guilt over that. Like, um, how do you for know for right. sure? Right. And so, right. It's, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's the exact same idea that like college has to lead to a specific job, right? Yeah. The college is job training. The dating is training for marriage, which it's not. That's right. A great so analogy. That's one thing. That's one thing that Josh Harris got right, right? Learning how to be a good girlfriend or boyfriend is not teaching you how to be a good spouse. But it's not – I don't think it's supposed to, right? So my dad would always say, like, you don't have to be this serious. Like, just go out on dates. You don't have to become, like, exclusive with every single person you go <laughs> to the movies dad. with. Now, okay, now, my dad came from a different – he had a different experience even than I did growing up. Okay. Um, but he would always say, like, why are you – you know, so you went to – you you know, you went out to dinner with him. Like, just, you don't have to go steady with him or whatever. Um, you don't have to be exclusive. Like, just – date people you get to see what you're interested in what other people are like you get to learn how to kind of converse with other people and you know that's one of the things that i think is great about dating is you learn as much about other people as you do about yourself and that is in a way really what prepares you for being a good spouse not because you said i'm dating this person so i'm gonna marry them i think it all goes back to control you know and it's parents wanting to control their daughters and to a lesser extent, their sons, they just want to get the sons out of the house, but they want to control their, their female offspring and they want to control their, their wives. And these men want to control society. And the way to do that is through sex, you know, and, and who you marry and who you date and saying, no, no, don't, you know, don't date that guy. Or, you know, I'm, I, I know the perfect guy for you. I'm going to set you up. He's a, you know, friend of a friend who's got this kid and he's your age and, you know that that type of control, I think, is so um, so much a part of. I'm going to say, like you know, kind of traditional evangelical culture that. Yeah. Oh we, yeah. We want to replicate, you know, the Deuteronomy, and and that's not <laughs> that's not anywhere near what I read in the Gospels. Um, you know, but but we try to prove text Paul with with Leviticus, and that doesn't always sync up especially in our modern culture. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that 
you know, guys could kind of get away with this dating around a little more than girls. If you did that as a girl, you would be called a slut or a whore. Right. Yeah, that's not just in evangelical subculture, but I do think it's much worse there than it is kind of outside. Well, and that was really what you had as a woman who was growing up in this kind of culture. You had your character and you had your virginity, basically. If you were considered someone who had been untouched, you were more desirable. And valuable. And valuable, not only to your family, but also to uh, whoever's family you ended up in by marriage. Yeah. Well, that's a... On that note, I'm going to get a drink. <laughs> Join the club. Y'all have fun. Right. Thanks. I'm so glad you popped in. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Where do we go from there? I don't know. We didn't really expect it to be this whole, like, let's talk about how evangelical subculture created us and how we've had to be healed of some of that. But um, I think that's fascinating, though. But it did. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, it's, it's you know, interesting to kind of think about. Um, and, you know, it, it, it ties in still to this presidential election that we're looking at, right? So we see new numbers out from Pew today that are say that so the numbers of evangelicals supporting Trump are almost the same as the numbers of evangelicals that supported Romney in 2012. Right. And so there was for a little bit. Uh, and Sarah Posner, I think it was Sarah Posner over on Twitter was saying this yesterday or maybe it was earlier today. I don't know. It was a long day. I think it was earlier today. But she was saying like what we're seeing from these numbers in these numbers from Pew is that we thought for a little bit, OK, the peop- the evangelicals that go to church don't really like Trump that much. But the evangelicals that don't go to church that much, they're the ones supporting Trump. But what we're seeing out of these numbers is there's actually no breakdown there at all that's that's significant we're just seeing evangelicals across the board are kind of flocking to trump which is what i expected right i mean it's what you've you and i've talked about we've expected the entire time um but whereas you had and i mean it, it, it's, it's actually crazy right so and um <clears throat> excuse me in 2012 you had 73% of people that somehow supported Romney, they were evangelicals. 73% of white evangelical Protestants supported Romney, either strongly supported or just supported him. Um, and now in 2016, that number for Trump is 78%. Right? So he's actually beating Romney among evangelicals. And so, you know, you hear, you're hearing talk from Russell Moore, right, and some of these other prominent evangelicals standing up and saying, you know, Trump does not represent us. You, you know, evangelicals should not be voting for him because of all these reasons. And it would seem like, if you only listen to a few of these voices, that evangelicals are really kind of pushing back, right? And even in my Facebook feed and my Twitter feed, more so my Facebook feed, but I have a lot of even, you know, friends who are still, still evangelicals honestly saying, like, we don't really know what we're going to do. We're probably just going to leave that blank and then vote for other people. Um, mm. But that's by far not the majority, clearly, because Trump is actually doing better among evangelicals than Romney did four years ago. And so you oh, begin right. to have these questions about why is that, right? Someone who clearly does not profess to have been born again. He's Presbyterian, so we'll give him that. Well, um, he was predetermined. <laughs> right, exactly. So <laughs> – but he's, he clearly does not know the Bible, right? He clearly just does not know anything about the Bible. At least Matthew. He knows, <laughs> he knows a lot of people like it, and he knows that he should talk about it, and he knows he should say it's the best Bible. I mean, the best book, even though <laughs> Art, of, Art of the Deal is number two, right, is what he's going to say. All right. But that's about it, right? And, and so all these things we've been hearing from evangelical subculture for so long, about what presidents had to have, right? George W. Bush had this, and um, you know Al Gore didn't, and you know Barack Obama didn't have this, but John McCain did. Is is the, the what we heard from a lot of evangelicals was what matters the most to us is your religion, and I know plenty of evangelicals who are still that way and who think who are very honest about I cannot and will not vote for Trump because of these various religious reasons. And I respect that because they've been saying the same thing forever. But clearly, the vast majority of evangelicals 
have been saying that but have not necessarily been actually kind of taking that to heart or they had and now that principle that used to be the defining principle of who they are as a person just maybe really isn't that important anymore. Or, or like someone today who commented on a Facebook post that I put up and I don't know this person, but she's a friend of a friend and I had those settings set up that way. And she said, uh, well, you know, Hillary's a liar. Yeah. Trump's, you know, he, he says bad things sometimes, but you got to take the good with the bad. And I, I can't in good consciousness vote for Hillary because, um, you know, he, she's, uh, she's a liar and, and she's not a good, a good person. Right. And so what we see is that, I mean, it's just, a, I mean, I don't know the, I wrote a piece a, a, a while back, sometime beginning of last year, wasn't it? About the myth of the evangelical voting block and talking about Donald Trump. It was, you know, spring of last year. I'll look it up. We'll drop it in the show notes. But the thing is, right, that's not what we can't look at whether you say you're an evangelical or whatever. Like that's not kind of the defining thing. The defining thing is party affiliation. And it becomes more so every single day. That becomes the defining thing um, that determines how people are going to vote. And so if you're a Republican, then you're going to vote for Trump and you're going to justify it. And it doesn't matter what you've said in the past about you know rel- why religion should matter or should not matter. And largely, you know, we're seeing this in Democrats too. If you're a Democrat, you're going to – yeah, there are plenty of Democrats who aren't really happy with Hillary, but they're going to vote for Hillary, right? Now, granted, you're not getting the same kind of religious reasons on the left that you're getting on the right. But this idea that evangelicals were somehow different from everybody else, that they were going to, you know, they, I mean, and to be fair, I guess, to the reporters who have been reporting that, that's what they'd been saying. But it just seems like that wasn't exactly, that's not borne out right now in the data. We'll put it that way. Well, and and to expand on your piece, I mean, I I don't want to be crude here, but I think it shows that the whole project of something like conservative Christianity going back to the 60s and 70s and this moral majority takeover and this evangelical movement that comes out of, you know, a a very real concern. And and I appreciate the roots of evangelicalism. I I call myself an evangelical. (laughs) (laughs) Because words don't matter. Because words do really matter. (laughs) And I've said this many times on the show. I consider myself an evangelical. I self-identify as that. So when I when I see things and I read, or, you know, I mean, in, in some ways, I still consider myself a Southern Baptist, you know, like, I, I grew up in that tradition, and I appreciate it. But I think this conservative, politically right takeover, and I'm not a leftist, I'm not a, a liberal, but I think it's showing how hollow that is. Just like at the beginning of World War One, when the progressive project was really taken off, and we had yellow journalism, and we had this idea of we're changing things for the good, and all of a sudden we have this great war, even though we thought, oh, well, Europe is kind of the shining beacon, and, and it's showing what we can do if, if we combine Christian socialism with politics. Eh, no, that didn't work out so well. So now we're having the same thing with the right, and I think it's showing the hollow nature of, of kind of that conservative evangelical movement. Um you know, that wants to wrap itself around the flag and have Donald Trump hug a flag and all of a sudden say, well, Donald Trump's a baby Christian, but one day, you know, his trainer will grow him up to be a a, a master Pokemon. Um, (laughs) You know, it's it's this idea of showing the hollowness of this whole project and and how it really is not just restricted to, um, I don't know, restricted to, people's personal beliefs, but when you try to project this onto the stage, and whether it's Jimmy Swaggart or Perry Noble or any of these guys who, and I'm going to say guys, who are, you know, evangelical leaders, the dominoes keep getting knocked down. And that's not on accident. And I don't think that's divine providence, but I do think that that's things working out and uh, and seeing that, well, you know, actually that's not representative of, of what it means to be, you know, the church or whatever, or, or the voice of church and government. I don't know. I'm just saying that as a, a frustrated, alienated, um, you know, person who actually has faith and, and calls himself an evangelical. Okay, so, so let me uh, ask you this then. Why, why does it matter to you that you still call yourself an evangelical? 
because I really do agree with the underlying premise of that going, like you said, back to the Middle Ages or early medieval period. Um, and, it, and it's in the United States, it's so intrinsically tied to what the Anabaptists and the Baptist movement became uh, in terms of this idea of sharing the good news. And, you know, that's what being an evangelical means. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to vote for Pat Robertson for president or Donald Trump or, you know, <laughs> Mitt Romney. Who <laughs> The fact that evangelicals voted for a Mormon is mind-bending, but, you know, there you go. Um, you know, it, it's laying claim to an identity. It's like... <laughs> It's like when gay people reclaimed the word queer. You know, it was almost like a slang word, and they said, "No, we're gonna we're gonna take that right. back. You don't you don't get to do that to us." Or you know, people of color lay claim to certain words that that we you know we white people would right. And, this, like and we see around. this a lot. I mean, sociologically, we see this right. A, right. a, a right. dominated group um, co opts a term that had been used derisively against them and says, "No, we're going to make this a positive term." Uh, of, you know about ourselves, and, and that's re- that's really really common. And and that's what I want Ministries Lab to do with evangelical. I mean, I would love for that to be able to to have some reclamation. I don't think it'll happen at least in my lifetime. Uh, but this idea of oh, well, you're an evangelical voter, so that means that you do this and this and this, and you vote for this person, and you have these beliefs, and you don't like black people, and you like gay people, and it's like, well, no, actually, that's not anywhere near <laughs> you know the 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 scope of things. But that's what we've allowed ourselves to become because we've allowed ourselves to be played by people like Donald Trump, um, James Dobson, Perry Noble, you know, whoever the list goes on and on and on. And it's, it's sad. Um, cause it, it, it wasn't supposed to be that way. I don't think, but that's, that's how things turned out. I mean, it's kind of like saying Democrat, like I'm not, a, am probably going to vote for Hillary Clinton, all cards on the table. I consider myself at this point a Democrat compared to what the Republican National Committee put out as their uh, their platform for 2016, which I think is just so overreaching into our bedrooms, into our private lives. It's the same reason I want to move from Google Apps. <laughs> like it is, it is kind of crazy to see, right? So after the you know the horrible losses they had. And 2008, they did a, an autopsy, right? Even after 2012, they did this autopsy there. And we're like, we got to change all these things about immigration and how we talk about uh, Hispanic people and how we talk about gay people. We got to change all these things. And now they're just like, no, we're actually going to move further right on these issues. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing, right? They're kind of, I, I guess, just committed to dying a slow and painful, irrelevant death. But that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, that's well, it's I don't the same know thing most, most churches like. are doing. I mean, most churches yeah. are saying, "Well, I mean, my, my CBF included, um, yeah, you know, we, we we know we need to talk about it, but we have to be deliberate about it, and we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, throw ourselves into the middle of of the fire. We we want to we want to take the next couple of years and really think about the LGBTQ issue, quote unquote, or question, or however we want to frame that, right." You know, whether we're Methodist or CBF or, or, you know, Southern Baptist who just kind of exists in this odd little bubble of non-existence. Um, I mean, the, the Southern Baptist Convention to me is a lot like Jerusalem in, you know, say the, the 8th and 9th century BC, where they kind of thought they were the center of the world. But, you know, you've got Egypt and then you have, uh, you know, the Neo-Syrian Empire rising and you have all these major world powers kind of duking it out and and you've got little you know, Judah based around Jerusalem there saying, no, no, we're, we're, we're the center of the world and everyone's paying attention to us. And it's like, yeah, no, no, not really. No one, no one really cares about you. You're the backwater. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's, it's kind of goes hand in hand with this idea of when things get tough, you, you look at your belly button and you don't look out. And what, what's comforting to you is to, to define yourself by what you're not. So you say, well, I'm not going to play Pokemon Go because that's right. stupid. Or I'm not going to vote for Hillary Clinton because she's a liar. And eh, I'm going to make concessions and, you know, whatever. Um, or, uh, you know, it's that mentality, I think, is, is really dangerous. But I think that's such a big part of where we are. So, I, I don't know. As we wrap up here, um, I do want to say, you know, our we, news is breaking now about What's going on in France and uh, in, in Nice with the um, evidently terrorist attacks there, and uh, you know, heavy thoughts 
you know about all that it's um it's like a, a terrible situation yeah i mean it's still it's yeah. <clears throat> it's just man it's been a year hasn't it like and we're halfway through it 2016 sucks yes <laughs> yeah. you know between our own which we haven't been able to talk about on the show you know with i mean we kind of t- hit on it last week but not in the scope that we should you know with, with our when we actually plan I mean, we have all this stuff in our show notes to talk a lot about what's been yeah. going on and talking about police violence and talking about things like that um we kind of got carried away in the evangelical stuff which happens but yeah 2016 just sucks i mean I don't know. Yeah, it's not 1969 or 68, whatever. I understand that it's not as bad as, at least as far as kind of relations between uh, the police and the community and things like that. But, man. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, 50 people in Orlando. Now, early reports, we'll see, you know, you have to be cautious about all these early things, but early reports are saying upwards of 60 dead. 81 now. Just from 81 from a, a truck. I mean, it's a large truck, right? It, you know, what would be called a lorry or whatever, yeah. uh, which we don't use out there right here. But you know, a large like a tractor truck, trailer, almost. Yeah, you know, almost that that big, um, driving through a, a crowd that's just celebrating Bastille Day, which is you know a big French holiday. I mean, it's a it's a great day, right? You have the Tour de France ended on Mount Ventoux, which crazy stuff happened there today. We were going to talk about that, right? Um, yeah, it's right. on Mount Ventoux today, and it's Bastille Day, and you've got you know this. It's it's essentially like our kind of Independence Day, right? It's, right. Your, it's our July Fourth, and everybody is excited, and you know there's fireworks, and there's you know cookouts, and there's a huge crowd at a you know outside in Nice, and this truck just drives through them. Um, Can you imagine? Just heartbreaking. Just God. And I've, I mean, I'm seeing a ton of stuff on Twitter, or people posting pictures of their loved ones saying, you know, hey, this is, you know, my sister and she was in Nice and I haven't heard from her. She's not picking up her phone. I mean, I don't know. This is right. I mean, this is what, you know, people are being, you know, I'm seeing not every day, but on, you know, a, a much more regular basis on Facebook. Um so-and-so was marked safe in Orlando. So-and-so was marked safe in Istanbul, right? Friends of mine were there being marked safe uh, on Facebook, which is a great feature, honestly, but yeah, Jesus, man, to have to have that feature, right? Right, right. I mean, ugh. it's a, yeah. Yeah. So as we are pretty good at doing, right, leaving on a depressing <laughs> note. Um, yeah, so I mean, we're going to, yeah, this is, all this is breaking now. We're going to learn a lot more. But, yeah, we don't want to speculate uh, or anything. Or and, 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 and I will say that if you, if you don't um, subscribe to our newsletter, you should definitely subscribe to our newsletter. We put stuff in there that doesn't make it into these shows each week. Uh, stuff we're reading, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's serious. Um you know, if you if you saw last last week's newsletter, you would see. You know, we we try to put out a little bit that we didn't really get to talk about what's about about what's going on uh, with the shootings that we've had, um, the police shootings that we've had, and kind of just a little bit of our perspective on that. Um, so, you know, we we hit some we hit a lot of things in the newsletter that don't get hit in the show. So make sure you subscribe to that, and we always love to hear from you. We really do. Um, we have some lately. I feel like it's kind of um, gotten a little bit. I don't know. It's it's grown, right? Kind of our interaction with our followers, with yeah. our listeners. People are maybe coming out of the woodworks here and there, which is which is just a lot of fun. Um, so we want to hear from you uh, on Twitter or wherever uh, you want to get in touch with us. That's where we pretty much live. So that's kind of the best place. But um, we we love hearing from you. Send us emails, send us questions, send us comments, feedback, etc. Uh, tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. We like we like hearing all that. Didn't mean we're going to change, but that's why you listen, right? So, right. Um, so yeah, uh, where do they need to go to sign up for the newsletter, Sam? Just go to thinking.fm uh, and or click on, click on the show notes if you're listening in a in a podcast app or something like that, and you'll see a, a link in the show notes to sign up for the newsletter, um, and it's it's right there. Or if you just go to thinking.fm, you'll see a, a link there as well in our in our show notes. Go there and subscribe uh, if you're feeling rather generous, though there are a thousand causes better. Um, then go to thinking.fm slash donate. And, um, you know, what we're really looking to do is cover the just the cost, right? Um, keep the lights on, so to speak. Uh, so if you want to do that or you know want to kind of 
give us a little monthly thing, you know, dollar a month, something like that. Um, I know we're asking for a lot, but if you want to do that, that'd be great too. Um, or you could also show us love. It's not quite in the same way, but by following us on Twitter, <laughs> you can find Sam at Sam Harrelson. You can find me at Thomas Whitley, and you can always find more great podcasts with Mariana Neely, Mariana Harrelson, sorry. Um, her Twitter still one. Neely, but uh, Mariana Harrelson, who came on the show wonderfully, you know, unexpected tonight. Um, she has a fantastic show uh, that she does as well. So listen to her, find more great podcasts at thinking.fm. <laughs>